This is Phil Nichols, and I play the character of Renfield in Renfield the Undead. <laughs> Hello, Donnie. How are you? <laughs> Jack Harrison, action actor and stunt coordinator of all three stunt teams. I played the character Idiot in the movie Dismal, and you listen to Gruesome Hurt Song. Some Herzog. My very special guest today is actor, producer, director Billy Garbarina. Billy, how you doing? Hey, how's it going, Gru? Do you go? Do you go by Gruesome or Gru? Doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm called either or. Uh, Scott, I'm doing great. I'm called Scott Gru Gruesome Herzog. Don't call me late for supper. You know, whatever. Superior. Well, in that in that, don't be late for supper. You and you, you and I definitely. Have a kinship. I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little too round from the not being late for dinner too many times. <laughs> oh, excellent. Well, actually, the reason I have you on here for is because of Necroville. That's how I came across you and your uh, counterpart in that movie. But if you don't mind, I'd like to start a little bit earlier. Um, I haven't interviewed Richard Griffin, but we've talked on the phone. Um, I've interviewed a couple cast members and also talked to them. First, I want to talk about is Feeding the Masses in 2004. Again, gotcha. it's a Richard Griffin film. It was written by Trent Haga. Your experiences with that movie, um, would you like to share to, to the listeners exactly, you know, roughly what it's about and your experiences? Uh, Feeding the Masses is kind of a biting social satire about government controlling media and kind of steering public opinion and public action based on that. So um, that, that's kind of the, the overall theme. Uh, it centers a trio of, uh, of individuals who are on a news team. Uh, a soldier uh, who's assigned to, uh, from the military who's assigned to protect the, the news team out in the field, uh, the news reporter, uh, and myself, uh, the, the cameraman. Um, Rachel Morris is the news reporter. Uh, Patrick Cohen is the soldier, and I, uh, I play Torch Tenney. Uh, the, the centerpiece of the aggravation and uh, and uh, kind of angst of the of the world of feeding the masses. So um, that said, uh, to get to the point, it's uh, a zombie apocalypse movie. The zombie apocalypse is in progress, and society is falling apart. And as society is falling apart, the government is taking deeper and deeper steps and sanctions to control. Uh, what the public is, is hearing and understanding about the zombie apocalypse is actually far worse uh, than is being reported. And, you know, as the government gets, you know, deeper and deeper control uh, of what's going on and being uh, broadcast, uh, obviously the intensity of the zombie apocalypse is increasing. Okay. So that, that, that in a nutshell, is, uh, is kind of the stage for the human mass. 
Well, I can tell you one thing about Richard Griffin. He has a knack of ma- movie making. You know, um, I've come across a lot of reviewers, a lot of um, people that, you know, you have to, to, to desire Richard Griffin's films. And I'm a big fan of his because I love the splatter disco that he did. You know, I just love his way of making a movie. You know, it's, it's, I think he's a very original. You know what I mean? No, and, uh, you know, uh, Richard, and, and it's interesting because Richard Griffin as a director and then Ted Marr uh, yep. as, his, as his producer, they're an unstoppable combo. Um, they, they've got energy and talent. Uh, they're, they're very, very good natural politicians. They know how to, you know, they know the whole dance. They know how to put everything together. They know how to get everybody in alignment. And, and more importantly than that, they know how to cope with crisis situations. Actors going nuts and, and walking or a location falling apart at the last minute, then, and they, they can pick up the pieces and, and move along without a beat. Um, you know, I met Richard in 2003 on the set of uh, Stink Flesh. He was the director of photography. plays a small walk-on role. Um, and I was just immediately impressed, uh, and I was I was very very grateful. He had actually traveled back to New Mexico to kind of check on what was going on with the cut, uh, and he invited me out uh, to Rhode Island. Uh, it was actually shot in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, oh, wow. uh, to be in to be in Phoenix. And interestingly enough, he originally wanted me to be the soldier character but uh, I read the script and I was like oh my god I, you know I really really am connecting with this character and I kind of got on the phone with him I, I pitched it to him and he said let's do it and so I ended up uh, being Torch uh, but but yeah Richard Richard and Ted great filmmakers they've got a huge body of work um, I, and one thing about Richard I've always been particularly impressed with his lighting uh, he really has a uh, a real, a real kind of uh, a love for for old Argento kind of mood, yeah. colored gel background lighting. It's it's really, really, really fun stuff. Um, you know the the, the camera work he puts together, the cast he puts together, all good stuff. Yeah. All good stuff. Um, yeah. The next one um, we talked about briefly off the air a, little, a couple of days ago, but I'm very interested in it because it has the word slashers in it. I'm a big slasher fan. I could be wrong on the storyline of the movie. But it's called Wedding Slashers in 2006. That's a Carlos Scott film. And you mentioned um, the writers is Scott Phillips. Um, well, actually, the writer, I believe, was um, Robert Madrano. Um, okay. It's, and I see, there's, there's, there's an interesting story there. Um, the, uh, the, the, the movie was financed by a guy out of LA and uh, the, the what happened in the end it was such a debacle that the executive producer and the director and the producer me all took our names off of it and uh, essentially the executive producer and the director took the names off of it and then I said yeah I'm not going to be left holding the bag take my name off of it too uh, but I'm but I'm in it as one of the leads and also I also uh, ended up credited as the second unit director and, you know, years later, I'm like, ah, you know what, I did it. You know, if you, if you look up uh, William Renato uh, on the IMDb, you'll see that, like, you know, that's, that's William Renato. Whoever, I don't know how they came up with the name William Renato, but that's the, the, the singular uh, credited producer for that. So, you know, you see him credited nowhere else. So, you know, that was me. Okay. Um, and I don't know. I don't know why. Years later, I was just like, you know what, I did that. I'll own it. 
Right. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, I mean, the whole thing was kind of a, an interesting thing because we were experimenting, some, some guys that I work with in Albuquerque, uh, we were experimenting with what it would be like to take financing from an out-of-state source, and it ended up being this war between what we could do for no money and what was being demanded for no money. And then, you know, then the budget got cut, uh, what we were promised, and then therefore promising people uh, to be paid to participate was being cut. So, like, it was just a nightmare from beginning to end, uh, trying to get it, trying to get it together. Um, it ended up being finished, uh, and ended up getting out there. And because of the title being so familiar, uh, being so similar to the Wedding Crashers, it actually ended up being a very widely released. And widely seen movie, which is which is kind of sad because, in my opinion, uh, what it what had been done up to that point, uh, you know, uh, Stinker Flash or Feeding the Masses, uh, and then there were other things in, in post and in development. Then, but like uh, at that point, it was kind of a little bit disheartening because for the great efforts that those movies were, Wedding Flashers was you know quote unquote the one they were going to remember us for because it was so widely seen. So it's not a terrible movie. Campy and kind of goofy, but it's, it's a little bit disjointed. And See, Robert Robert Madrano Robert Madrano wrote the script, and to, to get to that, uh, he wrote the script as per the, the specifications of the executive producer. Uh, but like, it had like car explosions and all this crazy nonsense in it. It's like we can't do this in two weeks on on like a, a ten thousand dollars. Are you out of your damn mind? So the script was continually being reworked and rewritten on the set and on the fly. It was just kind of like a, it was a very, very bizarre journey to get through that movie. Well, I'll tell you what, though. Um, the next movie um, I fell in love with. Now, you mentioned about the kooky, campy, goofy horror comedy. I love that shit. And I don't know what it is, but anything that I find, it's cheerleaders or it's... I just love that crap. When I say crap, I don't mean it as in crap. I mean crap as in crap that I like. I gotta be careful how I say that. But I love that goofy comedy horror. You know, it has. You know, speaking of that, this is definitely not goofy. I actually love it. Necroville in 2007. This is the movie. This is the movie. How I even found out. No offense, who you were, because you know a lot of movies, like you said, are made that are not available yet. So obviously, if, if you can't see it, you gotta do research. And then I found you. Now, Richard Griffin was a co-director, um, like you said, and your partner, writer, Adam Jerem Brown. Now, I want to tell you yep. something. Used two in this movie, I think, to me, was one of the best two tag teams in a horror comedy that I've seen in a long time. You have that chemistry in the movie. You know, me going through my job search, you know, and and it's hard to find a job in, in society today, the way, the way the way the government is and all that. But then to see you guys getting jobs, losing them, you know, and then you guys find a job in this movie. So I'll go ahead and let you explain what I mean by that. It has zombies, vampires, werewolves, and a, a evil, horrible girlfriend. So go ahead. <laughs> um, ne- ne- you know, Necrophil is a really, really, really interesting piece. That was probably the hardest thing that I've ever had to get through, uh, production-wise and post-production-wise. 
and even even pre-production. It, it was just a monster. Um, but it basically came from uh, again many 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 years ago. Uh, Adam Brown and I uh, worked in a movie theater in Albuquerque, the Lobo Theater, and we used to speculate how funny it would be if two characters, two you know kind of bubble, bumbling idiot characters, were being pursued relentlessly by a vampire, and uh, you know if, if in their attempt to you know dissuade said vampire from chasing them. They drop a piano on him. Yeah, you know, with open. the logic being that even if it has the strength of ten men, that will take the pepper out of it. And of course, they're incorrect because there is no precedent anywhere in the literature for uh, um, you know a vampire being dispatched that way. So, you know, they they that you know, and we we would joke and we you know think of different scenes and different little scenarios that might be fun but ultimately in the end uh, you know that's what we came up with and that, that was the kind of the seed the seed kind of concept uh, around which we, we wanted to build this movie and uh, from there it was, it was kind of like you know kind of a, a simple thing to just create the world of Necroville, which is a world in which, you know, uh, rather than the world falling apart or being created, it just happens to be a world where supernatural creatures and, and circumstances are happening, and, you know, when you, when you, you know, have that going on, you just kind of accept that for, for a matter of course, and then, you know, what, what, what is society like? I, I'm kind of not describing it well, but the idea is essentially like, what if society isn't falling apart because they're zombies? What if they're just zombies? Yeah. You know, and uh, and and kind of you know as as all you know in my opinion great zombie movies and hopefully Necroville in time will will be vindicated as one of them. Uh, you know, there's there's a point to the zombies, which is you know uh, there's a point, not a point. Ultimately, to me, in a, in, a, in a zombie movie, you know, the zombies are just an ancillary environmental hazard. You know, it's like the, the fire in Italian Inferno or the water in, in Titanic. It's, it's going on. Right. But what, what's, what's interesting is that creates a crucible in which the characters interact. And so, you know, traditionally in a zombie movie, you've got, you know, the zombies going on and all hell's breaking loose, but what you ultimately have is some sort of a character drama. Like, uh, you know, it goes all the way back to Night of the Living Dead. you got this thing going on, it's an ancillary uh, environmental hazard, and, and what does it ultimately mean? Well, what are these characters doing that normally wouldn't interact with each other and they're forced in a situation? The concept then behind Necroville is, uh, you know, as, uh, as, as the zombies and the wolves and the monsters all kind of being a, um, uh, uh, a, uh, a concept, uh, a... Man, my vocabulary is failing me today, but it's a um, an allegory. There you go for for society, and you know, as as I, as I was experiencing society at the time, and still do, it's filled with these ha glaringly horrible things that you know people just kind of walk down the street and ignore. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, that's the that's the interesting thing about Necroville is you know, uh, these are very dangerous and very awful times, and very dangerous and awful things walking down the street. But, um, you know, many people either turn a blind eye or don't care or don't consider it to be much of a nuisance, despite the very, you know, dangerous and obvious nature of it. So that's a little bit about 
you know, kind of the driving force of, of what, what is Necroville about. Yeah, I loved it. I, you know, <laughs> you know, you had the, the werewolves are funny. I mean, the, the, the whole story, um, I reviewed it, as you know, and uh, I got a great uh, response to it. A lot of people checked it out. So hopefully, like you said, that's one of those hidden gems to me that sooner or later, in a matter of time, it will get out there. And uh, I know a lot of people who will check it out will definitely enjoy it, you know. Well, and we and we give the Necroville guarantee, which still stands up, which is, uh, you know, I, I guarantee the audience that when they watch Necroville, they will see a vampire die in a way they've never seen before die in the history of cinema. <laughs> and, you know, I have screened Necroville in front of literally thousands of people and many, many, many more on the Internet uh, or through through strip streaming or Netflix or rentals or purchases. And, uh, you know, the simple fact of the matter is not a single person has been able to refute that claim. You will see a vampire die in a very unusual <laughs> and horrible way. <laughs> That's for sure. The next film um, that uh, I haven't seen, but I'm anxious to get a chance to watch it, it's called Wicked Wood in 2009. Wicked Wood was a really, really kind of interesting movie. Um, it was the second time that I was working with Chris Gluckley and uh, the Wisconsin team. Uh, Chris Rusty is actually a, uh, a North Carolina local, uh, but he, he kind of found um, the odd uh, night studios guys, uh, Hank Carlson and uh, Vince Nardi uh, and Matt Vassen, and uh, they kind of they kind of found each other and brought Chris out and. You know, they loved me in uh, Psychoholic Cost, and, you know, interestingly enough, you know, kind of as both actor and technician, and we had such a good time. Uh, Chris had this, this other script, and I loved it, and, you know, he put me and Vanel, uh, you know, as the, as the kind of the two leads of the movie, and uh, we just kind of knocked it out of the park. Nobody does, I, you know, I find myself saying this a lot when I'm talking to scripts with people, but... In my opinion, nobody does marital discord like Chris Rusty. That that dude, yeah. And having speaking from the perspective of somebody who's been married and divorced, and you know, been through been through my fair share of you know, uh, you know, relational disharmony. Uh, you know, Chris Rusty really, 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 really does a really fair and really balanced look at you know the male female marital relationship. It's really, really awesome. And so I always, I always love chewing Chris. And I always love, you know, chewing the scenery on his sets, and always the kind of, you know, of course Hank uh, as, an, as a special effects artist, and Vinny as a camera hop GP. Although uh, he was he was a little bit ill, and I he was only kind of operating in, in an ancillary fashion. So Wicked Wood can't say enough good things about uh, the, the Autumn Night team and Chris and, and all those guys. And the, the cast was great. That was my first time I got to meet Samantha Novak. Um, got to work with Vanel again. Awesome all around. Now, is that available for DVD? Um, it's still a post, oddly enough. I think we shot that in, I want to say, October or November of 2008. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, well, you know, and some, you know, sometimes these things take forever. I'll give you a for instance. You mentioned Necroville at 2007. We actually shot that April 2005. Oh, wow. So, uh, so it took like two and a half years to post and then like another six months to get, you know, released on DVD. Psycho Holocaust is a similar affair. Um, it was shot in, I want to say, October-ish 
uh, maybe September-ish of 2007. And so now here we are, 2011, about, uh, when was it 2008? It was 2007 or 2008, but the point is, is that, you know, several years later, it's just now coming together. So, um, you know, there's some, there's some things, some inserts and some questions about the direction of, of the, uh, of the, of inserts and, and the cut of the movie and certain things in post. Um, one of the things I think that I think, um, Wicked would suffer from was there was, uh, all the footage got captured in a funny way and so it needed to be recaptured and done from scratch. It's like, it's one of those things where, you know, uh, the, I, I've, I've come to develop a, uh, a phrase about filmmaking and, you know, I hope you'll pardon my French, but. Yeah. Yeah, it, it never fucking ends. Oh yeah, yeah. I know. So, so there's always there's always some new dread bullshit uh, that, that that comes out to bite you, and you know, um, Wicked Wood. I, I've seen cuts of the movie. Uh, it's an outstanding movie. It's fun. It's fresh. It's living. It's a, it's a great piece. Um, and I have every faith that it, I mean, based on the footage, it will eventually come together and, and, and be put out in a way that's acceptable to everybody. But, uh, you know, it's just a matter of time. Not It's more of a matter of when than if. And when it does come out, it's going to be another uh, another good addition to the body of existing one. Yeah, you mentioned Psycho Holocaust, so we can move on. But one thing I will say, it has an actress in there that I think is an up-and-coming superstar to me. It's Rainy Brown. You know, Rainy Brown is a dear, dear friend of mine. Uh, I've known, I met Rain on the set of Psycho Holocaust. Um, we became fast friends. We've done at least four features. I mean, if I'm remembering, like four features since. Um, she's, you know, she she lives very close by with good pals. Um, and you know, I mean, there's not enough time in in one interview to just for me to tell you good things about her. Well, you know, I loved I loved her in A Hundred Tears. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, you know, see, Rain is Rain is one of those. Uh, you know, rare actresses who <laughs> I'm going to get in so much trouble when I say this. Parade is one of those rare actresses that should be doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I know how that sounds. That sounds terrible. But like, Rain has, right. Rain has those gigantic blue eyes. Uh, you know, just, just and she can just do all kinds of things from from be pretty to flirt to be frightened and they're, they're very engaging uh, you know she she looks great on camera she's uh, a monstrously talented actress um, uh, she's awesome you know and she's she's a, she's, a, she's a doll to work with um, and, but it's funny because you know she and I she and I have you know a, a friendship she and I can get you know kibitz a little bit you know we have a we, we have a very kind of you know, bickering sibling kind of relationship, but there's a, there's a lot of love and a lot of respect there. Yeah. I, again, I can't say enough good things about Rainy. Now, I did have a conversation with a gentleman by the name of Chris Seaver a while ago. Chris Seaver. And we had a, we had an interview lined up, but it didn't seem quite catch up yet, but which I will catch up to him. But there's a movie that Chris I have Seaver, here. Chris Seaver, was, Chris Seaver was just in my house this week. <laughs> he's a fun guy to talk to, let me tell you. And he's another filmmaker that I have a, the utmost respect for because I like these directors who, pardon my French, I say it, there's quite a few of them, and I think they're the best people in the world, on the earth. They don't give a flying fuck what people think. They do what they love to do, 
make a movie, no matter if it's two days, three days, four days, five days, they just want to make a movie, and they make it funny, and they just do it. And that's Chris Sieber, and Terror at Blood Fart Lake, in 2009. I do have this movie, I haven't watched it yet, which I'm going to be watching it very soon, but your experiences with Chris Sieber, now I know you say he's at your house, but give an idea, roughly, of Chris Sieber's mind of way he makes movies. You know, all right, this is going to sound really weird, but you know, the whole Chris Sieber thing requires a, a bit of a, a, a bit of a, a bit of a background. When I first was exposed to Chris Sieber movies, I thought, what, what is this garbage? You know, what is this? This is this is schlocky, campy. I mean, these people aren't even trying. They're just kind of going nuts and and, and weeding out. That was my first five or ten minutes. But because I don't like to dismiss things out of hand and I like to, you know, get the full experience so then I can talk about it, after about eight to ten minutes watching, I was like, wow, there's something going on here. You know, this particular brand of, of, of camp and these, you know, lines and this camera work, there's something very deliberate going on. Um, and and it was and it was one, when I when I got to that point about at about my eight to ten minutes it was it was one of his early shot on VHS um, own Jack High movies. Um, I can't even I can't even remember the title because like Chris has made like I know forty or fifty projects. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean the, the dude's prolific. Um, and and it was as I started to 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 really listen to the words and really kind of look at the style and really kind of kind of kind of start to sink my teeth in what he was doing that I actually kind of became really kind of excited about what he was doing and then I found out that he makes these movies in like three days and and I was like oh my god you know I you know so three days what the hell is that so when I when I was going to to my first Chris Siever movie which was what he in 2007 or 8 um I, I remember thinking I was preparing myself psychologically for war because I imagined people be screaming and barking at each other and going, now, 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 light, move, move. So I expected, like, like, like people would be throwing lights across the room at yeah. each other and, like, catching the lights and plugging them in the wall, just, like, run and gun and hustle, hustle, hustle. And what I discovered is it was exactly the opposite of those expectations. Everybody, including Chris, was just totally chill and relaxed and... You know, it's just all very easy, and, and, and you know, and, and yeah, you know, Chris, Chris doesn't take a lot of time with lights, and he doesn't take a lot of time with with, with camera. But what, what he has are two things: he has his words, and he has his characters. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know this is going to sound really weird, and I don't fully understand it. I, I mean, as my friendship with with Chris grows over the years, and as my understanding of his style and his and his projects grows over the years. And, and by the way, Chris would never. I don't even. I, you know, I, I don't even know if Chris thinks this way about these things, which is which is part of the sublime beauty of Chris Huber. But you know, speaking from the perspective of an actor, there is something really special about the script that he writes. It's like it's really weird. It's like he's a savant or something. He's got this like it's like this nice Shakespearean command of, of, of the English language and, and, and word creation and of word usage and of, and of, and of word implementation it's just it's really hard to pin down there's you know I, I don't fully understand it 
I don't, I, I can't, I, I, I'm like, I don't, I'm, I'm a very chatty person. I'm at a loss for how to describe it. There's something very different and very special going on with the LBP thing and the LBP style and especially Chris Eber. And it's too easy to take those first eight or ten minutes and dismiss them out of hand. But, you know, if you really start to watch the movies and listen to the words and listen and watch the characters and watch the interaction, there's, there's really something insane and sublime and crazy and wondrous going on all at once. Right. Uh, all- on these movies that are like shot in three days with low technical expectations and, you know, on a $300 budget. It's like, it's wild. Yeah. Same goes for Taint Light. Um, there you go. You yeah. Know, I mean, it's, it's, it was on, it was, I mean, I don't even know how to explain this, but like, you know, Taint Light was written up in the Washington Post as one of the top 25 all-time downloaded movies on Netflix, and simultaneously derided as one of the worst. He has he has one hell of a following. He does. It's amazing. You know, a lot of people who are getting into movie business that don't want to take it so serious starting off, he'd be a good example to study if they want to get into business and not take it serious right off the bat. He's a prime example of what you can do when you have an open mind, a talented writing skills, and don't give a shit. And, and, a, and a dedicated, you know, crew to... to I mean, he, he, he keeps... He keeps the same actors around for years. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, 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 and it really has to be more with who's available. There's, you know, there's, there's that concept of availability uh, where actors are concerned. Uh, you know, but he keeps calling people back. You know, what are you doing? You want to come do this movie? You want to come do this movie? You want to come do this movie? And it's just, he's relentless. You know, right. uh, uh, there's something, you know, it's, uh, I would just ask anybody who checks out one or ten or twenty of Chris Sealer's movies not to dismiss them out of hand. Like, really do your best to try to pay attention to what's going on with the words and what's going on with the characters. Yep. Because uh, there's just some, there's a sublime kind of comedy there that's both subtle and gross, and both, uh, you know, overt and 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 layered. Right. And it, it's really, really, really easy to just dismiss it out of hand. And I would just caution for anybody who wants to try out a very different flavor of cinema. Well, take the time and explore it. I'll say it, and I'll say it again, and I don't care if I offend other horror reviewers or whatever. A true horror fan should be able to watch anything with an open mind. That means how much it costs to make a movie. First and foremost, when you review a movie, you always got to look at the expense that they had available to make. Before you make these harsh judgments, that's my philosophy and my reviews, and I'll stick with it. Well, and I think you know, I think there's there's definitely something there, um, because uh, I mean, I don't know. It's it's a tough. Uh, when you've got the mainstream, the quote unquote mainstream, and you've got you know mainstream television and mainstream uh, cinema and, and and a mainstream audience, people you know often aren't even exposed to to, to things of, of of this lower. Or budget nature, and you know they're they're definitely excuse me, belch there on the uh, <laughs> um, and there's, the there's definitely uh, there's definitely you know 
I mean, you know, far be it for me to ever tell anybody what they ought to think or what they ought to look at. But in my opinion, uh, you know, looking at the wide variety of film, uh, uh, film is a genre, you know, uh, that happens worldwide on, on many different cameras, through many different lenses of, of, of camera and of eye of director. You know, I think you have to, you know, take certain things into account when you're looking at any piece and really kind of look at different things like, well, who is making this? What are they saying? And what, what is, what are the, what are the ingredients that, that they're working with? I, there's somebody once said, I don't know who it was. I think it's, it might be Roger Corman or somebody might have once said, uh, you know, it's a miracle that any movie ever gets finished. And it really, it yep. really is true. And, you know, that, that, uh, that a DVD or a VHS tape or, or whatever is making its way to somebody somewhere and they're watching it at all is amazing. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to be an apologist for the, the deluge of shitty movies that are out there in the universe, but, you know, I think it's important to, to look at things through the lens of what am I looking at? What is the value here and what is not valuable? And, you know, what can I get out of this experience as an audience member? Right. Uh, on the other hand, you know, you shouldn't demand that the audience have to work too hard. Right, right. <laughs> Because they're there to be entertained. They're, they're, they're not there to work. They're there to have fun. Yeah. And they'll, they'll be engaged. So I don't know. It's, it's a tough line to cross. It's tough, right. It's a tough line. To, it's a tough uh, balancing act, tripwire to, to, to you know, walk on. Well, you know, I'm more than just a horror fan. I'm a sci-fi fan, you know. And I'm also, believe it or not, a Western fan. Now, ah. now I'm not, I mean, I can remember... I mean, I watch a lot of the 70s Clint Eastwood. I mean, other than the older stuff, I know in the 80s I watched a western called Pale Rider, Clint Eastwood. That's more mm-hmm. of a, that's more of a, more of a tamer western for him, if I remember correctly. But I like it. A western is good if it has the right personalities, if you know what I mean. You know, I picture Jack Palance on a horse, you know, or Robert Stack. But you're in a film in 2010, which, whenever it comes available to watch, I will definitely check it out. It's called The Righteous and the Wicked in 2010. It's a Craig A. Butler film. Do you want to give your experiences? I mean, not experiences. Basically, what it's about. What, it's, uh, you know, i, I got to give a lot of credit to my buddy Craig. Um, Craig... And I've been collaborating for several years now. He was actually the director of photography on uh, another movie that I've got coming out. It's called Stick. We can talk about that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, he kind of really wanted to break out of the making a horror movie uh, kind of jag. And he said, I want to make a Western. And I was like, I don't know, man. I don't know what kind of a market there is for that low-budget Western. I don't know. What, what are you doing, man? I mean... Do what you want to make, but I, I don't know, man. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, God bless him. He, he forged through. He got it done. Uh, and uh, blew my mind. Shot it in 16 days. Uh, did it on a, on a nominal budget. And, uh, you know, it is a, it is a, it is a, a question. I mean, I, I don't know any other way to describe it. There's cowboys and horses and gunfights and, uh, you know, uh, gritty, manly shenanigans. Uh, you know, the, the basic, I mean, the, the basic premise of it is, uh, an aging gunfighter, gunslinger, is, uh, trying to arrange one last big heist 
so that he can retire uh, and kind of get out of get you know finally put his put his you know sins of his past behind him. And so you know, for all intents and purposes, it's a heist movie. Right. But you know, unfortunately, one of those ghosts from his past comes back uh, to kind of kind of you know settle the score for those for those uh, indiscretions and, and, and whatnot from 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 his youth. So uh, you know, it's it's a, it's, a, it's a very interesting movie. It's uh, we shot it in I want to say the summer of two thousand nine, and. Uh, it got picked up by, uh, by a pretty good distributor at uh, a label called Grindstone. Um, the deliverables were just mailed off this month. So, you know, the contract signed, it's coming out. Good uh, deal. It's all very, very, it's all very, very cool. And um, I was the director of photography. I was a lead in the ensemble. Uh, and I also was the second unit director. Um, so I'm very, very, very proud of Craig. Uh, for, for doing this audacious thing, uh, getting it done, much less getting it, getting it released. And I'm very proud of my work in it and just have nothing but good things to say about the cast and crew of that movie. Um, I definitely, if there's any, uh, fans of Western out there, we definitely kind of modeled this on a, on a very spaghetti Western, uh, kind of long, drawn out shots and, and tension building kind of thing. The score by Paul Amos is just top notch. Uh, it's just, it's just an, an all all around really fun fun thing and it's a very 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 wild departure from what I was used to doing working on horror movies and horror comedy so uh, I'm very excited about that so well, keep an eye out for the righteous and the wicked I will definitely check it out when it comes available the next one you mentioned about a couple of seconds ago called Stift in 2010 directed by the man Billy Garbarina uh, Stift, you know, um, Stift is, interestingly enough, also about bank robbers. Uh, but in this case, they're bank robbing zombies. Um, Damn. It, 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 it's really funny. The, uh, the, and that movie actually um, is finally finished. We shot it in October 2008. And I, I don't know how the IMDb works, because the time when you shoot a movie and the time you get it on the IMDb and the time you get it released are three different things often. Um, but, uh, Stift is finally released, uh, it's actually, Stift is finally finished and we have several offers on the table for distribution and we're getting ready to, uh, go with one of those deals. So I'm at liberty to say that much. Um, but as for Stift itself, um, writer Devin O'Leary, who's been, uh, kind of a staple of, of many of the movies we've made going all the way back to Stink of Flesh he plays uh, the other soldier <laughs> the, the, the third the third soldier of the uh, this, this Volvada, um, whatever my character's and whatever his character right it was ten years ago man I can't remember um, but uh, you know Devin appears in, as like you know half of little roles in uh, Necroville and he makes, he makes appearances in Jimmy Skelter and uh, I can't remember if he was in the writing question but the point is he, he's always been a, he himself is a writer and a very talented one at that and Stip came about because he was lecturing uh, in, a, in a South New Mexico uh, university setting on, on screenwriting um, and, he's, and he's been a 
uh, a movie reviewer and, and critic for a local paper in Albuquerque for many, many, many moons. And uh, he, was, he was talking about when you write a script, uh, basically everything that you could think of has been done under the sun. And the real trick is to find something new. Um, you know, but not new. What he meant is, you know, try to find a new way of presenting old material. And, you know, one of the students in the class said, well, what, well, what do you mean? And you just kind of off the top of the face, like, well, like, zombie bank robbers. <laughs> you, know, you, have, you have zombie movies and you have bank robber movies, but nobody's done zombie bank robbers. So, you know, what would you do with zombie bank robbers? And so, you know, he, was, he, he came back from that, and, you know, we were having our, our weekly video game session. Uh, you know, because, you know, you know, for all of the fancy parlance of, oh, yes, script and pre-production and development, basically it amounts to two idiots sitting around in a, you know, around a living room with ferrets running around playing Lego Batman, uh, you know. Right. And he comes to me, and I'm, you know, trying to get him to, you know, join in the second player for the next level. And he's like, well, what about this idea? And I was like, oh, it's an interesting idea, but, you know, whatever, okay. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> like a, like a, ten days later, he uh, throws like twenty-seven pages of script in front of me. I said, "What's this?" I said, "Read it." I started reading. I thought, "I thought this was a goofy idea you had." It's like, well, now it's a script, and I started reading. It was absolutely brilliant. I wow! Thought, like, and I thought, Devin, my God, you got to develop this thing. He's like, all right. So he quickly developed uh, the the script into a feature, and uh, and we shot it. And so. Uh, you know, therein, therein lies how this stuff happens sometimes. A goofy idea becomes a, becomes a script, becomes a production, becomes a movie that you see. And uh, essentially, Stift is about a trio of low-rent bank robbers who die in a, in, a, in a botched heist. And they are brought back to life by the, the leader of the trio's satanic stripper girlfriend and her coven of idiot goth kids. They get resurrected, uh, so they're zombies, and they decide to continue their, their uh, unlife or undeath of crime uh, by going back to just being scumbag, you know, robbers. So as, as, as she's manipulating them and as they're starting to decay and parts are falling off, <laughs> um, you know, their relationship and, and their bromance starts to decay and, you know, there's some intrigue and, a, and an obsessed police detective and it's a very fun movie and you know it's I gotta be honest I myself still don't fully understand it but I like it right uh, yeah. I, I love I love the characters I love the story uh, I, I love it and you know when I made this movie uh, I wasn't sure how audiences were going to react to this because it's very weird and very different uh, it's very pulpy crime noir kind of kind of kind of kind of weird weird movie and uh, audiences came and to the screenings and they loved it and I thought man maybe, you know maybe we have something here and that's been my worry all along which is like this is good and I like it but I don't fully understand it and I don't know what audiences are going to react to and uh, distributors liked it I've had more offers on it than, than any movie I've had out in a while and uh, audiences that have screened it, screenings have loved it, and so I'm very, very excited for how people are going to receive it. And of course, it was the next movie I directed after Necroville, 
And so, you know, it's a huge step up. Um, technically from that, it's the first movie I shot in HD. Uh, it's the first movie that we started uh, being able to use a 35mm lens package on. Um, and it's, uh, it's a lot of different things that are, that are, that are technical steps forward for me uh, as a director in terms of, uh, in my opinion, in terms of not only the, the gear and what we're able to use, but also my own technique and my own kind of cobbling together of these different elements. So I'm uh, on a lot of different levels. I'm really, really, really excited for and passionate about uh, what's going to be the fate of Stift. All right. Well, now, can I ask you, is there roughly an idea of when it'll be available? I mean, I know it's too far, too early to say, but do you have a ballpark, roughly? Um, I, I actually, I can do that. Because we're getting close to going with one of the deals that we're on, we're on our table, um, I can tell you that it's usually from, from the time that we formally agree to go with a distributor, which I would say would be within the next month or, or, or two, probably within the next month, probably maybe within the next couple of weeks. But from the time we formally agree, it usually is about six months to a year. Okay. It's a year-long process, and it's funny, like, like um, Stift is not yet released, but it's finished, and, and you know, we're, we're going to go with, with offers that we've had for release. And, you know, I've, I've directed two other features and produced others since then, and it's like I've, and it's like I've got stuff coming out this year that was shot two years ago, and then stuff that was shot last year that's not going to come out for another two or three. Right. So it's, it's funny. So when, any, when, any, when anybody sees Stift, for example, um, you know, it'll be like sometime in 2012 by the, by the time I see Stift. And for whatever critical reviews and analysis are of that movie, what's interesting to me is that's actually my technique from 2008. And like when, when uh, Necroville comes out late 2007, uh, I, and maybe it was 2008, but it was either 2008 or 2007. But the point is, when you when you watch Necroville and you're and you're looking at that, that's my technique from 2005. Right. So it's, so, so it's really kind of this weird, out of sync gaps uh, chronologically kind of thing where you're looking at a movie and it's like, well, that's what we were doing then, and you know, you look at everything that was good and bad, and, and then you look at like two or three other movies since then that are still in post, and you look at what's good and bad about them. It's very Weird. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, that's on my watch list. But the next one you uh, we mentioned. Oh, I didn't mention it yet. But earlier conversations, Dozers in 2010. Now, I noticed there's somebody in this movie with you who I became friends with. I interviewed him, and I think he's a great guy. And you might remember him, David Z. Stamp. He played two. You know. Now here's here's the, the interesting thing about Dozers. Um, yeah, Don Adams has been a friend for years. Um, but my involvement in Dozers was really, really, really uh, only... I, I came in on like the third or fourth unit okay. of shooting that movie. Um, now, now here's, here's a hilarious story. I was originally supposed to be part of the principal photography of Dozers. And in fact, Don Adams uh, used my camera um, to shoot Dozers. So, so Dozer's was shot on the CL Productions camera. Um, and Trent Haga and I were actually both supposed to be in Dozer's, but because Chris Seaver had uh, 
scheduled in advance for Steve Wolf. Uh, we had to, you know, honor our commitments to Chris. We had to say to, to, to you know, Don Adams, hey man, sorry, we, we already committed to Chris. So, hilariously, uh, Trent Hagen and I were both on the set of Ski Wolf, kind of, kind of laughing our asses off because, you know, because we're, we're on Swing Mountain and, you know, it's in the middle of the winter and it's like six foot snow. Right. And we're rolling around in all day making Ski Wolf and we're freezing our asses off. And we're laughing because, like, you know, uh, we had to, we had to say no to, to Don's, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm supposed to disclose the budget, but like, you know, a budget that was easily ten times the size of, of Chris Seaver's ski wool. Uh, you know, we, uh, anyway, it's it very funny. But then Don ran into a couple of production stands and needed to do second unit and stuff in Milwaukee. And how I got into that scene with Adam Minarovich, uh, who wrote Chop, uh, Trent Hager's, uh Chop, and also appears as a, uh, a character uh, in the first two or three episodes of The Walking Dead. I had Adam Minarovich, by very, very talented, but right. um, it was actually cheaper for Don Adams to fly me out to Milwaukee holding the camera than it was for Don <laughs> to pay for the camera to be shipped to Milwaukee. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so, Don flew me out to, to Milwaukee and, uh, you know, put me in uh, this scene. Uh, I think I think a distributor or a producer, I can't remember, wanted more gore uh, or something like more more scenes with more more stuff in it. So uh, Adam and I end up playing a couple of characters that appear a couple of times in the movie, uh, and and then you know, but because it was like you know third or fourth unit for that for that movie, um, it was like. So far removed from the main principal cast that, like, I never interacted with oh, okay. anybody uh, ex- except for the people in the scenes that I'm in. And he shot a couple of those scenes in Milwaukee. And he shot a couple of those scenes in Albuquerque. Um, yeah. Or like uh, Curly Gapayal, uh, for example, is in Dozers. Um, you know, and, and he and I, you know, go back years all the way back to the Six Flash, but he was in the LA unit of. Uh, Dozers and you know, so we're in the same movie, but we never interacted in the same time space continuum to make it. So it's very weird. Don still got that in post. He's cranking it out. Uh, again, it's like I talked earlier in the interview. These things can be a years-long process before the, before you get them yep. completely shot, before you get them completely posted, and then once you get them completely posted, getting them distributed. It's a years years-long process. But the bits of Dozers that I've seen are amazing. Uh, I think Don really, really uh, will have knocked it out of the park with this one when he, when he gets through it. And I uh, can't say enough good things about Don, and I can't say enough good things about uh, uh, the cast that I worked with. Um, the, the Milwaukee Film Corps um, is, is Don's uh, kind of go-to Milwaukee guys. They're guys a consummate professional, outstanding team, uh, Adam Norris. Everybody's a dream to work with on that movie. Nice. Well, the next movie... Um, Brain Cell in 2010 directed by Alex Burrell and there's a couple cast members I'm very familiar with of course you Joe Zazo which I got to chat with him he's an interesting guy and of course the lovely Rainy Brown um, what exactly is uh, Brain Cell about? you want to tell the listeners? Uh, 
Um, brain cell is, is kind of an interesting piece. Um, Alex Birrell, who, who was the, the captain of that ship, uh, he really, it was his first feature, and he really wanted to go for kind of a, a, a giallo kind of, uh, kind of, kind of an event. Um, brain cell is, uh, the story of Rain's character, um, can't quite remember the name of, name of the character, but she's in England, uh, her father's died, um, and so she's interacting with her uncle, who's, who's now a researcher in a, in a, in a English university, and, you know, it turns out that he's doing these, these evil experiments, you know, warping people's minds and brainwashing them in, into becoming, like, kind of mindless, you know, vicious animals. Right. Um, so, so there's kind of like a, a, a zombie movie element in that he's turning people into zombies, quote unquote. But it's more like you know mindless, controlled, you know, uh, killing killing vicious people. Um, it was a, a wild time. Um, that was my first time overseas. Um, uh, Joe is uh, an absolutely outstanding producer. Um, uh, to say nothing of his talent as an actor. Uh, again, got to work with Rain. Um, and the crew was totally, totally nominal. Um, it, it ended up being, for the most part, Alex Spiro and me. So I stepped up as the, as the first AD, and then, and then, you know, I'd say like ninety percent plus of the of the tech in that movie was just me and me and Alex seeing what lights and equipment uh, were available to make that happen. Um, but Alex is a, Alex is a great, great, great gent. Um, Nice guy. He lives in Italy, or at least the last time I checked in with him, I started checking with Alex. Um, he's living in Italy as a DP. A very, very talented, thoughtful, thoughtful young man. Uh, outstanding guy. Um, you know, and I got to meet, meet and hang out with Matt Berry. Uh, yeah, just the whole experience was amazing. Yeah, there's the next film that um, a lot of people are really peeking their nose and eyes up at it. Um, rot gut. Now we had this conversation a couple of days ago, and it's amazing. I've noticed that if a movie has a funky name like rot gut, you know the first thing people think of is okay, rot gut zombies. Maybe not, but I, like I told you from doing this reviewing and interviews for the last ten, eleven months, I've noticed that a title has a lot to do with people's peak interest. Now, that might sound strange, but... No, I think you're onto something with that. I think you're definitely onto something with that. So go ahead. Uh, Rot Gut, I'm really anxious to see it. Um, I know there's not much on IMDb about it, obviously, but if you can speak a little bit, or or if not at all, it's fine. Um, no, 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 I'm more than happy to talk about it. Um, you know, Rot Gut is a very, very interesting project. We shot it last summer, and it's still in post. Um... Uh, but it was kind of that, that current trifecta of Devin O'Leary, who, who we spoke of, who penned I Heart You and uh, Stift, uh, wrote the script for Rackett. Um, Craig Butler, who was the director of The Righteous and the Wicked and was the director of photography for Stift, was the producer. And uh, I, I, of course, was the director. And, uh, you know, i got to say, um, Rackett shows a lot of maturity, in, in my estimation, in terms of... Uh, I mean, it's, it's the most recent thing I've directed, I think. <laughs> I, lose, I lose track. Um, but uh, I think it shows a lot of maturity in 
Uh, I mean, it's about the fourth or fifth time we've, we've broken out the, the 35 millimeter lens package, working with the, the, the HVX, the, the Panasonic HVX. It's, uh, you know, uh, finally getting our chops together with the Porta jib that I use, that I, that I, that I bought all the way back in stiff to start, you know, getting, you know, more dynamic, uh, motion going on in the movies. And so, uh, to me, it's like the best thing I've shot, uh, right. to date. And, um, you know, Devin and, and Craig are, are back in Albuquerque and they're, they're working on, on cobbling it together. Craig is editing and, uh, you know, under, under Devin's watchful eye and my occasional aggravating notes. And, um, I mean, I, I, oh, and of course, uh, it back together earlier points in the conversation. Hank Carlson, uh, Automine Studios and, and, uh, Vince Nardi. Uh, Vince came out, he was the director of photography. Um, and Hank was the, the special effects artist. And, uh, it, it all just really, really came together really, really well. The gore is great. The lighting and the, and the, the camera work is great. Um, the, the whole thing is just, it's a nice, it's a, it's a nice ensemble cast. And, you know, a, an interesting thing has happened, which is, uh, Devin and Craig were excited. They put together a teaser trailer and there's just been huge, huge buzz around it. Um, there's been like 12 online sites that have been interested in, in wanting to, to, to cover it and to talk about it and to interview about it, but we've already gotten like two or three offers from distributors to, to look at screeners. I mean, I've never had anything uh, kind of blow up this huge. Uh, but after it was done, much less before it was done. So, you know, with any luck, this will be a, a very solid piece that will break out a little bit. Uh, but But I can say from my end, uh, looking at looking at the you know the maturity and technique that came from from what's going on, just, you know, having ground through so many of these features, you know, I feel like I'm I feel like I'm finally starting to figure out how the ball works. <laughs> right, right, right. But um, but you know, uh, some really 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 slick stuff. I'm really really proud of the work that uh, that we did there. I'm really really excited for how that's turning out. And it's you know it's like there's there's definitely I mean if you if you go back. And you look at Necroville and you look at Stift and then, you know, I Heart You, which is still in post that was shot between Stift and, and Rock Hunt. And there's, I mean, I, I'm excited for myself. <laughs> right, right. Uh, because, you know, I'm seeing that things are, are, are getting more cohesive, um, with the team and, and with my work as an individual and the, 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 the team that I work with and the people that I work with. Everything is just really moving in a really smooth, nice direction. So I'm very, very, very excited. Well, that's good. I'm glad. I mean, I mean, it's you came a long way. I mean, Necroville to me, I loved it. But I mean, if you can top that off, when I love something that's lesser expensive, a baby, you can only imagine the stuff that you're going to do now. How good it's going to be. Well, I mean, and I mean, of course, that's my hope. It all sounds really great. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we might get a DVD out. It might end up being a total dog. So, you know, let's not, let's not uh, ring the bell just yet. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm, but, but from what I've seen thus far, I mean, you know, Stift I'm, I'm very excited about. Um, and, you know, I Heart You is looking great. There's a full working rough cut of that now. So we're starting to trim that back and make it an acceptable length and acceptable, uh, you know, start to balance out the sound and the color. So it won't be very long before we're finally getting that out to screeners, uh, for screeners, for distributors to screen. 
and, uh, you know, Rockets just kind of bumping along. All right, well, the next one, I mean, we got two more to do, but the next one is Rags in 2011. You mentioned him early, earlier, uh, Chris Ruffley. Yep, yep. Um, you know, uh, Rags was a tough, tough shoot. Um, I, you know, Chris talks about this a little bit online, so I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a, a chance at, at thinking that this is okay to talk about. But, um, Chris's father, uh, died in a motorcycle accident just a week before we started the shoot for Rags. And, um, it was a really, really tough decision to try to move forward on that movie. Um, but ultimately, you know, it was Chris's decision to make. And the, the decision that Chris made was, you know, his father got him into making movies. And, uh, you know, the last thing that he, what he concluded is the last thing his father would want would be for the production to be disrupted by that. So, you know, uh, with, with, with a level of character and bravery that I really haven't seen from many people in many situations, uh, and in the very greatest tradition of, you know, theater and cinema of, of the show must go on. Right. Uh, Chris, Chris committed to production. And, you know, frankly, because I know what I know of these things, you know, when you, when you start the juggernaut rolling, when you, when you call forth the dragon and you make it all happen, when you lose that momentum for any reason, grand or small, it really is almost next to impossible to get, to, to get that production back together. Um, and so, you know, uh, there was a lot of questions as to whether or not we were going to do it. Right. Uh, one of my jobs, Chris asked me as, as co-producer, one of the things he asked me to do is to keep everybody organized and keep everybody in touch. He didn't want to deal with a thousand questions from the casting crew. He wanted everybody to filter through me. Um, so, so I was kind of like fielding all that for Chris and then bringing, you know, uh, relevant issues to Chris and asking him what he wanted to do while he was dealing uh, with his with his father father's funeral and his family, so you know we we really held it all together. But with with such a heavy emotional content kind of kind of looming in the background of it, it was it was a little bit heavy, you know, right. a little bit heavy. But you know, again, Vince Nardi as as cannot be DP, um, Hank Carlson uh, effects, um, and they they came out from North Carolina. Uh, I believe they drove down, and then and then right after that we shot uh, Rock Cut in Albuquerque. So you know, so so I'm hooking up with uh, Vincent Hank in North Carolina, and I'm hooking up with them again in, in Albuquerque. It's very cool. Um, but like Rags, you know, Vanell's in it, um, and and you know, Rags is also interesting because it's gotten a lot of that same kind of heat that. Um, that, that Rock Cut has and so you know Chris has just kind of you know gotten teasers and trailers out and uh, you know Chris is Chris is starting to, to, to blow up a little bit he's got he's got a few uh, a book that he wrote uh, and other books that he's got in development and with Wicked Wood and Rags in post and Rags getting close to uh, completion it's very exciting times for Chris so you know I, I definitely I definitely have a lot of uh, respect for Chris and a lot of uh, you know, a lot of personal um, feelings of, of loyalty and failing for him for for just you know uh, uh, you know stepping up and, and just sticking it out and making making the movie happen no matter what. Right. Um, you know, uh, it, I mean, it was it was a tough it was a tough shoot emotionally, but 
you know, we got through it, and, you know, no matter how Rags turns out, no matter what becomes of it, you know, that, that is the movie that I think, I mean, any given movie that a guy directs, you know, defines him as a person, but, like, what he did and what he went through to get through that movie, I mean, right. I, 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 words, I, I don't have words to describe you know, that, that level of commitment. I mean, that, that is a dude who, Chris Ruffy is a dude who wants to make his movie, and Chris is a dude who's going to get that movie done, and uh, no matter what, and that's what it takes. You know, so a lot of love and a lot of respect for Chris on that. And, and of course, you know, deepest condolences for his loss that he's, that he's still, you know, coping with. It was barely a year ago, you know. I know, I know. I know how that is because uh, my my wife, we lost our I lost my mother-in-law a year and a half ago, and it's still around. I mean, it's something that will probably never go away. But, you know, and, and it, it, the encouragement, the strength that he had alone overpowers the movie, if you get what I mean by that. Yeah. You know I mean, his willpower and the... So... And we and we all we all rallied around Chris. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, if I was going to be frank, you know, things got a little tense on the set. And things got a little tense interpersonally, but uh, you know, in the in the in the aftermath of all that, I think that's to be expected. You know, especially considering the, the strongly charged content of what was going on, not only with the script, which itself had some pretty intense content, uh, but also the, the content of what was going on outside of all that. Um, it, you know, it's just just you know, it's a lot to bear. And so, you know, uh, temper flared, and, and there was a. There's a little bit of, of uh, you know, breakdowns. Um, but in the end, you know, everybody was there to make a movie, and everybody was friends. It was all, nobody on the set was new, right. uh, by and large. Um, you know, Sam Novak was there, and Vanel was there, and I was there, and, uh, you know, even Israel Wright, who's a, a great technician and, and, and a cast member in a small part, you know, goes all the way back with me to the Stink Flesh. He was like eight or nine zombies in the Stink Flesh. So you know, it was it was it was a it was a it was a it was a cast and crew that that knew each other, and loved each other, and supported each other, and you know, we were able to bear some of those some of those tough emotions that were a natural consequence of what was going on. We all got through it. Um, so a lot of lot of love and a lot of respect, not only for Chris, but for everybody who was trying to cope with that. Um, you know, as I'm as I'm as I'm playing this whole interview back in my head as we're doing it, like I'm I'm really kind of sounding like a cheerleader for. You know, go go my team and go me and go stuff I've been in. But no, no. But I've worked on a lot of amazing productions with a lot of amazing people. So you know, no, well, no. See, no, what to say. I've, I've had a great run. No, well, see, <laughs> no, yeah. But you know what? The whole purpose of an interview is to promote your work that you've done and the work that you made. So don't wor- don't worry about it. I mean, hell. Well, you know, at the at the risk of sounding like a self-aggrandizing, you know. Uh, <laughs> well, that's a matter of opinion. that's a matter of opinion. But, <laughs> but the the next and last, last but not least, um, I heart you in 2011. You directed it, written by your buddy Devin O'Leary. Um, mm-hmm. There's not much you can. I mean, there's not much said about it, obviously. But if you if you can talk a little bit, that's fine. It's a company. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, no, absolutely. You know, um, from the time Lane and I met each other. Um, we kind of wanted to kind of generate some kind of a project that would showcase, you know, Rain and Billy. 
and we kind of came up with the concept for I Heart You, and we thought it was great. And so, you know, we, we got Devin to write the script, and he really knocked it out of the park. Shot it in the summer of 2009. Um, in fact, shot it right before we shot The Righteous and the Wicked Western. And, um, you know, and it's, it's all the, it's all the same, it's all the same suspects, you know. Um, Vince was the, Vince Nardi was the DP camera op. Uh, Hank Carlson was the special effects. Uh, Craig Butler actually had a diminished role as associate producer on that. Um, Devin wrote it, um, plays a substantial character in it as well. And then, of course, I directed it, and then, uh, stars me and Rain. So, uh, a very, very, very fun movie. Um, Serial killers uh, in love for all intents and purposes. Uh, what you've got is two serial killers who are trying to like kind of lay low and live a square life, and they've inadvertently found themselves in their in their subterfuge in a marriage to one another. And what you see is the marriage starts to break down because people aren't being themselves, and you know you have a little bit of that marital discord, uh, which is you know, very 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 hilarious. And right. then, uh, as, as the, as the relationship starts to decay, both of them start to, you know, have extramarital affairs, quote unquote, in the form of going out and killing people. So, then what happens is there's a media, uh, storm, and then each, uh, each, each of the characters becomes obsessed with the secret person that the other one is in the news, and it, it becomes, it becomes a little bit of a farce, and then in the end, they discover who each other are, they confront each other, and uh, hijinks ensues. So, uh, that's, a, that's a little bit of the, of the arc of I Heart You, but the, the, the gore is top-notch that Hank did. Um, love Devin's script. Um, you know, uh, I, I, yeah, again, it, it, it was, you know, it was also interesting because it was very unique in that I'd never had a movie come together so quickly or so smoothly. Right. Um, Rain really, really, really wanted to make that movie happen. And it was getting to a point where I had to tell Rain, like, we're getting past my point in return, where if we don't do this movie, I do not have enough time to put it together, and uh, I, I have other commitments for Western, so this is time to uh, move or, or, or push it back. And, you know, Rain has that same understanding that if you push it back, bash it back, I think it's really hard to recapture that momentum. Right. So, uh, she found us the money, and, you know, in, in just inside four weeks, which is my shortest time for, for production, for pre-production ever, in just four weeks, uh, we were able to cobble together, um, like 45 actors and something like 40 some odd locations. And just knocked it all out of the park, and everything was smooth and seamless. Um, you know, and and newcomer to the team, uh, Melissa Roberge. Uh, she 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 started out as first AD, and all of the tremendous work she did for locations and and stepping up to the plate, organizing and making everything happen. She she kind of graduated to associate producer on that movie, and then she continued as first AD on uh, Black Up. She's an out standing organizer and uh, just a, an impossible work ethic just just relentless um, couldn't have made that movie without I mean I, I can't make the movie without the concerted efforts of everybody but that 
that short time frame and that short turnaround really have to put to uh, actually Rain and Mel. Uh, Mel and Albuquerque organizing and making everything happen and then Rain taking schedules and, and, and information and things and breaking down the script. Um, everybody really, really, you know, uh, put their, their nose to the grindstone and really cranked that one up. So that one was amazing because I've never had anything happen so smoothly or so quickly. Right. It's definitely a personal record for me. Um, and it just it turned out funny and, and gory and, and great. I'm very excited for that. Very well, excited. Well, I'm kind of anxious to see all these. Uh, there's a lot of post-productions, which, you know, time to wait, time to, you know, get excited and well, I'll get a chance. Say, you know, it's hurry up and wait. You know, yeah. Well, you know what? It, it, it's good and bad. You know, you have to wait. Sucks, but you know when they all come out, boom, 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 at the same time, you got plenty of movies for reviewers to talk about. And who knows? You know. There you go. There you go. Sky's the limit. You got it. Well, Billy, I do appreciate you coming on. It's um, by the way, happy mem- happy Memorial Day. By the way, happy um, Memorial Day to you. Thanks a lot for taking your time and getting us in, and I uh, really appreciate it. Gruesome, I appreciate your efforts. You know, the, the, the truth of the matter is, is without an audience, uh, you know, the movies never really matter. It's something I've, I've, I've said for years, and I, I truly deeply believe it. If, if the audience never sees the movie, then, then it really never mattered. And for guys like you who love movies and who, who spend the time to review movies, to bring information and news and reviews to fans, uh, you are definitely a cornerstone and a linchpin in that process so you know I thank you for the opportunity to sit here and yammer incessantly about me and my and my peeps who I can't say good enough things about no problem it's well entertaining uh, well informative and again no problem and I appreciate you taking time for me today I appreciate it. this is Phil Nichols and I play the character of Renfield in Renfield the Undead <laughs> hello Don is how are <laughs> Jack Harrison, action actor and stunt coordinator on three stunt I played the character Idiot in the movie Dismal, and you'll listen to Gruesome Hurt Song.